Is anybody interested in genealogy? Anybody done like their genealogy, their family history? Anybody into that sort of thing, like genealogy.com or whatever? My mom, when she was alive, got really into genealogy, and she would be able to trace back our family history for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as I, I think about what mom would share about the genealogy, I don't remember her sharing any of the shady stories of our characters from the back, but I do remember my mom said that if you know Downing Street in London, Downing Street is like this famous street where the prime minister lives, and it's like an important street. That street uh, is named after my ancestors. I think it's like a great, great, great uncle or cousin or once removed, I don't know, something like that. So basically, like me and the queen are tight. Like we, you know, we're tight because uh, of that. See, for me, I, I find myself, I'm not super interested in the genealogy. I figure I have enough relatives. I don't need to go searching for more. And maybe for some of you, you're coming off of Thanksgiving and you're like, I already spent time with those people. I don't need to find any others. There's enough right there. Family history is interesting, though, because oftentimes what happens is in your family generations, like characteristics transfer from one generation to the next, kind of the way it works. You know, we're, we're every little boy, this is true, every little boy, their dad is their hero. Their dad is a superhero, and their dad, they want, every little boy wants to be just like their dad. And so for me, I remember, I remember there was one day I walked into the living room. My dad had moved like the, the chair in front of the television. He had the Mariners game on the TV, and he had the radio on next to him that the Mariners game on. And I walk in and I said, hey, dad, dad, you're, you're blind. Why are you watching the television? Which is true. He was legally blind. I'm like, dad, you can't watch TV. Why are you sitting in front of the TV? And he said, this is a really important game. I wanted to listen to the commentators on the TV and on the radio because they are different commentators. So they would tell, you know, a little bit, they tell the game in a little different way. Well, sure enough, as an adult, I became a Mariners fan because I watched my dad uh, as a Mariners fan. In fact, there was another time when I was a child where one of my neighbors and his dad, they said, hey, Kevin, we're going to go watch the Seahawks play at the kingdom, the, the great kingdom. And I told my dad, dad, guess what? I got invited. And my dad was so excited. He never really, dad didn't have a lot of money. But I remember when I got invited to the kingdom, he pulled $40 out of his wallet and said, you go and have such a good time. And guess what? I became a Seahawks fan because of my dad's appreciation for the Seahawks. How many of you can look at characteristics from your family and say, man, I inherited this because my dad or my mom or my grandpa or my grandma, whatever it happens to be. But sometimes, despite how we look at some of these positive qualities, sometimes our family history can be difficult or challenging. In fact, there are various scientific studies, not all of them, but there's a number of scientific studies that found that parents who have experienced childhood drama Trauma, not drama. Uh, people who have experienced childhood trauma, oftentimes their children are more likely to experience abuse and neglect themselves. Children of alcoholics are 50% higher to, to deal with alcoholism themselves. Children of divorce are twice as likely to divorce themselves. Think about this. How, how, how has your family history negatively impacted you? You ever thought about that in your life? My mom, when she was uh, frustrated with, uh, she wasn't ever frustrated with me. It was always my siblings, okay? But when my mom was frustrated with the siblings, she was a yeller. How many of you had a parent that was a yeller? And you're like, yep, there we go. Well, 
The terrible thing is I've become a yeller myself, and it's something I'm trying to constantly be aware of because I hated it as a child. Again, she never yelled at me because I was a good child. I was yelling at my siblings, but I, but I hated that feeling. And so as I found myself becoming a yeller, I've tried to really hone that in because I don't want to be like that. I'm trying to overcome it. This December, we're in a series that we're calling Home for the Holidays. And this idea that, that for many of us, as we think about Christmas uh, this upcoming month, we're planning on going home for the holidays. And for some of us, that's good. We think about going home and we think of warmth and love and acceptance and laughter and all those good things. But there are others of us that going home for the holidays, it's not something to be enjoyed. It's something to be endured. Some of us, we have the anticipation of the in-laws coming to town. We have the anticipation of the crazy aunt or uncle. You never know what they're going to say or never know what they're going to do. We have this pressure of trying to keep the kids off the naughty list. There's all these things going on. And so home for the holidays brings up this anxiety within us because for some of us, our, our home, our family is a little bit of a mess. And so this series, Home for the Holidays, is meant to help us redeem this idea of being with family over Christmas. Idea, how do we, how do we redeem Christmas at home and help us to deal with the chaos and dysfunction in a way for God to work in us and through us amongst our family. The question I want to wrestle with this morning, the question I want to wrestle with is, is what hope is there for those of us? What hope is there for those of us who didn't grow up in the Brady Bench family, right? Who didn't grow up where everything was nice and easy, what hope is there for those whose homes growing up were ruled by brokenness? Members of their family who struggle with sin. What hope is there for those of us who, when you think about your family, you come over the feelings of shame and embarrassment and disappointment and pain and hurt? See, as we talk about this idea of, of home for the holidays, there are some of us that home for the holidays is a reminder of a family history that we'd rather forget. And, and for those of you in that situation, I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope because as a Christian, we are not defined by our past. We're defined by Christ in the present. And God's light has an opportunity to shine bright through you regardless of whatever your family history looks like, regardless of what your home life is. So today, today we're... In Matthew chapter 1, didn't Jake do a great job reading through that? I thought Jake did wonderful. You know, Matthew 1 is one of those texts. Uh, how many of you, as you're, as you're reading the Bible, how many of you ever skip some of those passages where you just see this bunch of names that's hard enough you can't even pronounce? Yeah, yeah, you guys are terrible Christians. I know you are. I, I, I'll admit, sometimes I do the same thing. Because some of those names, you're just like name after name. Uh, and it almost... You look at this and you're like, Matthew is the start of the New Testament. And you're like, why did God start the New Testament with a bit of a snoozer? A list of names that we have a hard time pronouncing, let alone understanding. But here's the cool thing is when you look at this list of names, inside this genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 is everything that we need to know about Christianity. Everything we need to know about Christianity is right there. And it'll tell us that God's promises are greater than any level of brokenness that we can experience in our life and in our family. 
And I will say this just by way of uh, clarity. You might look at this text and say, well, uh, if I were to look at this genealogy from Matthew chapter 1 and go back to the Old Testament, you might notice that Matthew skipped a couple of generations. He doesn't include every name in the genealogy. And I just want to clarify that was common in Matthew's time. Again, they were an oral society. A lot of people couldn't read or write. And so you would have to memorize these things. And so they tell these genealogies in a way that are easier to remember. And oftentimes these genealogies were told with a point. They wanted to make a point. And so Matthew was written to Jewish leaders trying to emphasize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God that came from Jewish lineage. And so Matthew details his history, highlighting the important people to identify that Jesus actually was from the Jewish uh, lineage. So in this genealogy, we're going to look and see three lessons for us, lessons from Matthew's genealogy that have an impact for us today. And the first thing that we learn from this genealogy, first lesson, is that Jesus' birth is rooted in history. That's what this genealogy tells us, that his birth is rooted in history. See, Jesus, Jesus isn't just a fairy tale, right? Like when we think of uh, fairy tales, we think of once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away when the, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Like we, these are fairy tales, right? These are our things that we dream up. But as Matthew introduces this genealogy, this is a genealogy of, of real people. These are are, are real people. And that's how we know that Jesus isn't some demigod that was created from from some other culture or some other mythology, but Jesus was a real person in a real history with real people. In fact, I would say this. I would say say that this, considering Christianity, this might be one of Christianity's most important features. That Christianity is not just a set of teachings. It's not, so, it's not just a set of principles to live by, but Christianity is actual, real history. Now, of course, you're, you're saying, well, I've read the New Testament. There's covers a ton of teaching of things that Jesus taught, and that's true. But the central element, the central element of the, of the Bible, the central element of the New Testament, the central element of the story of Jesus is all about what Jesus did for us. It's all about history, what he's done. The fact that Jesus went to the cross, paid the penalty of our sin. He died and he rose from the grave to conquer sin and Satan and death and hell. I mean, that is a central idea of what Christianity is all about. It's not just a set of of beliefs for us to to give our life to. It's actually history that happened. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we don't have a lack of, for good advice over the last 4,000 years. A little bit more of good advice would not make a difference. Because we haven't followed the advice of any good teacher, why, would we likely, why are we likely to begin now? And he said, if Christianity means only a little bit more of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. See, what C.S. Lewis is saying is we don't need another fairy tale. We don't need good advice. We don't need religious platitudes to try and follow. What we need is a Savior who entered into history to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that's what this genealogy is meant to show us. That Jesus, his birth is rooted in history. You can look back and you cannot deny that Jesus was born into the world. Second thing that this genealogy teaches us 
is that Jesus' birth it rooted, is rooted in God's grace. Now, again, we already talked about this. Some of us are into genealogy, but a lot of us are maybe not as interested. But your lineage in the Old Testament or your lineage in the Bible time was really significant. It was, it was a big deal more so than our culture. In fact, your genealogy was kind of like your, your resume. It showed the world, hey, I'm worth something. I'm valuable. And oftentimes, back then, kind of like our day today, people kind of fudge on their resumes, right? They omit the bad parts and highlight the good parts. And so, in fact, an example of this is King Herod, who was king when Jesus was born. King Herod, in order to show his awesomeness, he published his, his genealogy for the world to see. And, and when he did that, he omitted all the bad parts, all the shady character of his history, and just showed the good parts so he could show the world, look how awesome I am. Of course I'm the good king because, look, I come from a line of awesomeness. But as you look at Matthew's genealogy, man, that's not what Matthew has done here. I mean, there was definitely some great men in this genealogy. Verse 2, we see Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. Father Abraham had many sons. And we, that's Abraham. He's a great guy. Verse, uh, uh, verse 6, David. David is greatest king that Israel ever had. David and Goliath. We love that story. Verse 10, we read about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Israel who brought tremendous religious reform to, to, to uh, the people of God. It was, it was great. But as you keep looking at this history, you've got some of these great guys, but there's also a lot of improbable characters. And might we say dubious characters? Might we say notorious sinners in Jesus' genealogy? In fact, as you read this genealogy, there was five women that were included in this genealogy, which was a big deal in Jesus' time. Because in Jesus' time, women were insignificant. Women were not considered worthy to be in a genealogy. And so in Jesus' genealogy, he's got five women listed. And by the way, these weren't, these weren't like the, uh, uh, the respectable women. The three of the women that are listed were involved in various sex scandals. Verse 3, Tamar, she had seduced her father-in-law in order to produce an heir. Scandalous. Verse 5, Rahab. Rahab, she was the gal who helped uh, Israelite spies when they came to scout out the, the promised land, and she was a prostitute. Verse, uh, verse 6, we, we hear about the wife of Uriah. She doesn't even get her name mentioned. This is Bathsheba who had an affair with King David. And so here in Jesus' genealogy, there's already this, this black mark on it because Jesus includes women in his genealogy and women that were a little scandalous. But it goes even further. There's this extensive list of notorious sinners, Jacob in verse 2. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob deceived his father, deceived his brother in order to steal a blessing that wasn't, didn't initially belong to him. David David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon, in verse 7, Solomon is a guy who had 300 wives and 700 concubines. See, some guys collect baseball cards or cars. He collected women. Like, like that's Solomon. Uh, you hear about uh, King Rehoboam and King Abijah in verse 7. King Jehoram in verse 8. King Manasseh in verse 10. Listen, all of these kings in Scripture are listed as being wicked and evil kings. And you think about this, you think your Thanksgiving celebration was rough with your family? 
Can you imagine Jesus gathering all these characters together? I mean, here's, here's Jesus, right? The Savior of the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Here's Jesus, the King of kings. And he comes from a family line of notorious sinners and brokenness. He doesn't come from a family line of awesomeness. In fact, Martin Luther, Martin Luther said this. He said, Christ is a person who is not ashamed of sinners. He even puts them in his family tree. See, this is the grace of God. This is the grace of God that God shows up when we least expect him to. That God takes, takes the ashes and makes beauty from ashes. He, he brings light out of darkness. He works through crooked arrows. And the family line of Jesus couldn't stop him from bringing the Savior into the world. So this genealogy of Jesus, it teaches us, number one, that Jesus' birth is rooted in history. Number two, that Jesus' birth is rooted in God's grace. And number three, that Jesus' birth is rooted in God's faithfulness to his promises. Now again, one of the things that you have to understand as you look at uh, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is each of these gospel writers, they wrote their story of Jesus for a particular focus. So in the gospel of Mark, Mark writes to describe Jesus as being the humble servant. Luke writes his story to tell Jesus as being the son of man. John writes the gospel of John to describe Jesus as being the son of God. And Matthew who was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, was writing to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised king. In fact, that's where you, if you look at verses 1 and verses 17, you see this idea. There are bookends to this genealogy. In verse 1, Matthew says that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham, which is significant. And then verse 17 Matthew gives a little bit of a, of a history, a summary of the Jewish people. And here's his summary. He starts with Abraham. He starts with Abraham. He says, long, long, long ago, long ago, God looked at the world that had been in rebellion against him, rebelled against God. And God said, I've got to do something about this. And so as Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to follow him by faith, to leave his homeland and go to a land that, that God was going to show him. And God makes this promise to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then he repeats this promise in Genesis chapter 22 verse 18. He says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. So here God calls Abraham to follow him and he gives him this promise that through him, through his lineage, all the world will be blessed. And Abraham and his ancestors, they waited. They waited over a period of over a thousand years. And during that time, God establishes Israel as a nation. He establishes them as a people of God. He leads them into the promised land and they're waiting for God to fulfill that promise. In comes King David. Again, King David is the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. And God makes this promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises and says, when, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
Your house and your, his house and kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. Here's this promise. King David, there's going to be one of your ancestors that are going to come, and they're going to sit on their throne forever. And here's the story. David dies. And there's this period of about 400 years. 400 years where after David dies, God's people, they struggle with following God. They struggle with worshiping God solely. And they rebel. And they worship other gods. And so God punishes his people. And he sends them, uh, he removes them from a promised land, sends them into exile, and deports them into Babylon as exiles. And this is where the third part of the history comes in. That despite their unfaithfulness to God, God keeps his promise to his people. And so he gives another promise to the exiles in Isaiah chapter 7. And we know this as being one of the Christmas passages. Isaiah 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. It says in verse 9, in verse, uh, excuse me, in Isaiah 9, 16, he says, uh, uh, Increase of his government and peace shall know no end. He will reign on David's throne uh, over this kingdom forever. Again, here's, here's the promise repeated again to the God's people in exile. And they waited for 600 years. During that 600 years, the people move out of Babylon back into Israel. They rebuild the temple. But instead of worshiping and loving God with a heart, soul, mind, and strength, they make worship, the worship of God a list of things to do. And they get a list of things that you just got to follow and a list of rules to follow until the coming of Christ. And again, when you think about, when you think about these three, three promises, the promise made to Abraham, the promise made to David, the promise made to the exiles, every one of these promises is a promise of a child to be born, a child who will make all things right. And this is where Matthew chapter 1 comes in, in the birth of Jesus. In fact, when you look at verse 1 and verse 16 of our text of Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is called the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title, meaning he is a Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is a promised Savior. He's the one who's coming to make all things right. He's coming as the answer to the promise made to Abraham. He's the one who's the answer to the promise made to David. He's the one who's coming who's the answer to the promise made to the exiles. That is who Jesus is. So here's his genealogy. Again, this genealogy that oftentimes we're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. This genealogy teaches us that Jesus was, was born into real history. He's a real person. This really happened. This genealogy tells us that Jesus' birth is an evidence of God's grace and the fact that Jesus comes from a broken family line. And this genealogy tells us that the birth of Christ is meant to fulfill the promises that he will be the savior of all mankind. And here's, here's what I want you to get out of this text. Here's, here, here's what I think God is trying to teach us this morning. Is that God's promises in Christ are greater than any level of brokenness. Like, I don't know what your family line is. I don't know. Maybe you've got some of those notorious sinners and you've got brokenness in your background. You need to know that God's promises are, in Christ are greater than any level of brokenness. And here we go in, in 2021. We're 
December 5th. We've got Christmas just a couple weeks in front of us. We're looking at this idea of, of going home for the holidays. What does this passage mean for us today? How do we apply that? There's two things I want us to, to really hone in on. Number one, we can trust God to keep his promises to us. See, if God kept his promises to Abraham and to David and to the exiles, we can be assured that God will keep his promises to us. Now again, if we just take a, take a minute, let's just talk about where our world is right now, right? Like our world, it's kind of a broken place, right? You turn on the news, what are you going to be filled with? You're going to feel, news is going to be filled with stories of COVID and, and the damage that COVID is causing. And I'm not just talking about the virus, I'm talking about the bitterness and the animosity that is tied to how political the virus has become. You turn on the news, you're going to hear about crime. That's just constant. High school shootings, terrorist attacks, all sorts of things. You turn on the news, you hear about political scandals, corruption amongst our institutions. You've got uncertainty of what's going to happen in the economy. It's pretty discouraging to think about the world that we live in. And then we don't say, then we say, well, well, maybe not just in the world. What about what's happening in our own personal lives? Again, we think about this idea of, of home for the holidays. For some of us, that breeds a lot of animosity, a lot of anxiety and stress because of the brokenness and sin amongst our own families. Some of us in here would know this. We know that marriage is one of the greatest things that God has given us. But marriage also is one of the hardest relationships that we will be in. It takes a ton of work. And some of us are in the middle of feeling that difficulty, that weight of marriage. Parenting. Anybody think parenting is easy? No, parenting is, is hard. And whether your kids are little and you're never sleeping, whether your kids get older, you're still not sleeping. Like, like parenting is hard. And then you deal with the fact that the depression and anxiety is rampant in our society. And so many of us struggle with those feelings. We've got addictions that are overwhelming some of us in this room. See, I look at all that's happening in our world and, and I kind of feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. As I think about Christmas, I feel the weight of the world. And I'm like, where does hope come from? Where do I find hope? Who gives us hope? Is President Biden the one who's going to make all things right? Or maybe Trump or some other politician? Are they the ones who are going to fix what's gone wrong? Is, is our hope going to be found when COVID is gone? Is that really where hope is found? Will our problems be solved if we get the perfect gift under the tree, the new car, the bigger house? Will that solve all of our problems? If we, if we just go find a new relationship, a better relationship, will that make things right? See, Matthew is trying to say, listen, listen, our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in him. That, that, that God has been faithful to keep his promises, and his promises are found in Jesus. His promises are fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, what I wanted to do this morning is I, is, is I wrote down a bunch of promises from God just a bunch of promises. And I want you to hear these promises and I want you to think, which one is it that you need today? These are promises from God. Listen to these. God has promised to be with you always. That's good. 
God has promised and said he has designed you with a purpose. You are not an accident. God designed you with purpose. God promised that his love for you knows no end, which means he can't ever stop loving you. God promised to give you abundant life. Man, doesn't that sound good about right now? God promised to comfort you in the middle of whatever trial you are going through. Listen to this. God promised to to finish whatever he has started in you. God started doing something beautiful in you. He promised to finish it. God promised to give you peace. How many of us right now are saying, man, that sounds good right now. I could use some of that peace. God promised that he is working things out for your good and for his glory, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. God promised to give us rest for our weary souls. God promised to give us eternal life for all of us who place our faith in him. Listen, these are promises of God. There are are hundreds of these in Scripture. What promise is it that you need to cling to today? What promise is it that you need to be reminded to say, listen, God keeps his promises. They're fulfilled in Jesus. And as we think about the world we're living in, listen, our hope is found in the fact that, 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 that God keeps his promises. So as we're sitting in this world, we've got this anxiety in the weight of the world. Instead of worrying about that, we need to just cling to these promises. Look what God has promised to do. And we hold on to that. He's the answer you're looking for. Whatever you're facing. The second thing that we apply from this message is God can redeem any level of brokenness for his good. Again, I love this story. You look at who God used to bring the Savior of the world into humanity. He used prostitutes, adulterers, murderers, evil kings. If God brought Jesus into the world through that mess, what do you think God could do through the mess of your life and through the mess of your background? See, here's the truth, is God specializes in taking broken people, screwed up people, sinful people. He specializes in taking those people and making them a new creation, of changing their story the way that only God can do. Some of us, some of us come from a long family line of struggle and brokenness and anger and addiction, and devastation. That's been our family background. Listen, some of us in here, that might have been our background, but some of us in here, listen, you are the generation that God is going to use to change the course of your family history. Do you, do you, do you know that? That through the, the power of God, God in you, that you are the one that God's going to use to change the course of your family history. That you're headed in this direction and because of God, you take a turn and God redeems that level of brokenness. In fact, I don't talk much about my background because if I'm honest, there's, there's, there's some pain, there's some shame, some things I haven't quite fully came to grips with. But here's my background. 
born in 1982. In 1983, my biological father uh, was high on drugs. And he got in his car and he started driving and he crashed into two other cars and he killed five people. He got put in Washington State Prison for uh, 13 years. My biological mom uh, struggled with alcohol and drugs. And after dad got taken away, she gave me and my sisters over to the state. She didn't want us. She couldn't handle us. Biological dad, after he got released from prison, you'd think maybe he had time to turn his life around. He didn't. Got into a pursuit with the Snohomish County deputies uh, and was shot to death. Biological mom, she never was able to get her addictions under control. And she died young due to complications from alcoholism. Yet God is writing a new story in my life, in my family. Not because of anything I've done, because of the grace of God. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why God sent Jesus into the world so we could experience redemption. So we could be restored into a relationship with God. This is why Jesus went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. This is why he rose and conquered Satan and sin and death and hell. He rose from the grave so we wouldn't be defined by our past. He rose from the grave so we can become a new creation. So God could write a, a new story in our lives. And as we love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength, and as we love our neighbor as ourself, as we love others more than we love ourselves, this is where God changes us. He changes us from the inside out. He redeems our junk. He changes the course of our family. He can take any level of brokenness and redeem it for his good. We look at this family history, Matthew chapter 1. What do we get out of this? Listen, God is not limited by any level of brokenness in your life or in your family. God brings beauty out of the ashes. God works through crooked, crooked arrows.